0: Welcome back guys to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. We have a returning guest. She hasn't been on my show in a while, but it is Kate Callahan. She is the owner of Level Up Training. Welcome back. What's going on everybody? I'm excited to have you back and you know, it is fall and this is usually when people kind of end a dieting phase or end a prep. And I figured we could talk about post-show, post-show blues, um, walking out of a dieting phase and how to find that balance point that I feel like everybody works so hard for.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of um, misconceptions about balance. And I think that that word is is hard to Put a term to or definition to uh, because that's going to look different for everybody. And I know a lot of people struggle. And the worst thing that I, I see is when people are like, well, I failed my reverse. Uh, whereas I would say you didn't fail it, but the approach that you were using wasn't appropriate for you. Um, and so this is where, you know, coming out of whatever dieting phase, whether it's contest prep, or you just went through a fat loss phase, uh, making sure that you are communicating where you're at and what you need transparently with the person that you're working with is incredibly important because there's a million different paths to get to the top of the mountain. Uh, but we have to find the route that works best for you. And that is going to differ person to person.
0: Let's like define what a perfect reverse is. Cause I feel like this is such a weird term and it looks different for everyone, but because we're both coaches, you know, we help tons of people throughout this process. So as a coach, what does a perfect reverse diet look like to you?
1: For me. So I'll, I'll compare what I used to think compared and where I'm at now with it, because, um, initially again, the mentors and people that I've come up with, you know, you think of a reverse and you think of, okay, I'm going to slowly increase my food. We're going to keep body composition here. We're going to do this and be diligent and disciplined and still track and hit numbers and all that. So I've been through that myself. Um, and I've, I've coached people through those. And for some people, it works really, really well. I did make a post about this. It's more for, I would say, uh, advanced athletes, maybe somebody who is going to compete again in the future, um, relatively soon. They don't have a ton of muscle to put back on and they kind of eat and sleep and breathe bodybuilding. Um, and that works for some, uh, not most people. So now I'm at a point where, you know, I really like a recovery approach. Um, I like to get people out of feeling like trash, um, and progress them appropriately with a good surplus. Um, most of the time, if, They're coming into a show, especially they're ready early. So we're linearly loading and they're starting their improvement season in a great place where they're not really food focused. Their their cravings are subsiding um, because we're able to eat up. Um, for the last rep- part of their prep. So uh, that's where I like to start most of my clients. But the number one thing, as far as a, a perfect reverse or winning your reverse, um, is the strategy in which you use is aligned with your lifestyle, your situation, uh, the things in your life that you need to start showing up to, especially when you come out of a prep, because it does require a lot of sacrifice and it is very selfish. Um, And if you have a family or children um, or things like that, or work obligations, travel obligations, you name it, uh, we need to find an approach that works for you, whether that's incorporating structured flexibility with untracked meals um, or making sure uh, that we're in a place with food where you don't feel restricted. And I say that is the most important thing to me, because when you feel restricted, a lot of people, especially coming out of prep, if you're looking at the numbers and you're my fitness pal every day, all the time, and you're over five grams of something for a lot of people that's triggering. Um, and then they'll start engaging in self-sabotaging behaviors because physiologically, um, ghrelin is going to be up, leptin is going to be down. So those are your hunger and satiety signals. Um, so even if you've just eaten, this is why you're Going to feel hungry. Uh, and I would much rather someone start to get regulated with hunger signaling and satiety signaling um, than be triggered because they're still hungry. Now they're over 5, 10 carbs or whatever it is. And of course, we always think that number is much higher than it is like, hi, that's 40 calories, but they tend to blow it up into 400, 500, 1,000 calories. Because they just say, fuck it. Um, and to me, it's more important to ensure that I'm setting them up to be successful with whatever approach that we need to use for that person um, so that they feel comfortable, confident, um, and like they're winning because they are with the strategy that we implement, which is going to vary person to person.
0: Yeah. I mean, before I used to think a perfect reverse diet would look like gaining little to no body fat, increasing your calories, and maintaining basically five pounds above your stage weight and still looking really shredded. And now it's funny because I look at a lot of women who will show off those posts and not saying they're showing them off, but just, you know, documenting their reverse. And they're like, I'm eating 300 grams of carbs. You know, I am only two pounds above stage weight. And then my coaching head goes to, but are you recovered? Do you feel satisfied after your meals? Do you have a period? How's your energy level? How's your performance? Um, are you so body image focused? Because kind of sometimes when I see posts like that, I'm like, are you just body checking, you know? So I almost feel like posts like that aren't super helpful because as other competitors may see that your body might respond totally different. I've had post shows where my body was not happy with me. Um, I never got blood work done immediately after. Cause I was told to put it off for like two, three months, which is fine. But I would imagine that my thyroid was really screwed up and I was gaining weight on 14, 1500 calories. And I kept feeling like, am I failing? Like I'm so adherent. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And I feel like I'm failing. And I think a lot of people feel like that.
1: This is because, um, in my opinion, um, people misunderstand what the purpose of a reverse or recovery diet is um and they have unrealistic expectations right the definition of a reverse or a recovery diet is to recover the adaptations that you've been through and in order to do that you have to put on weight body fat is actually it's necessary to come on it is the purpose of coming out of a diet now overshooting that is is not necessary and this is where you know again having an idea of how we want to come out of the show where we need to be at and i think especially for first-time competitors, you're probably going to be closer to that 10% weight gain, um, maybe even higher before you start feeling better, right? As you Mm -hmm. continue to improve, you know, your body fat set point and how you feel, um, you know, that can change over periods of time, but that takes years. And I think um, setting yourself up to try to sustain Two to five pounds over your stage weight is unrealistic and it's only going to hold you back. And when I say hold you back, I mean, especially again, first timers, you're going to, your feedback is probably going to be muscle. Um, and if you are someone, even a seasoned competitor, if your feedback is muscle, the amount of weight in which you need to gain is going to differ. Uh, for example, myself, in the year that I took off, um, I was 20 pounds over where I was, but my performance was the best it had ever been. I was able to put on muscle that way. I was able to overload more efficiently that way and recover from those things. Um, and so I needed to put on that amount of body fat and that weight. Um, and not all of it obviously it was fat, but at the same time, and it didn't happen overnight. This was over a period of time, obviously. Um, But at the same time, like I needed to get there in order to improve. And so you have to weigh what is this season of your life actually for? And if you are trying to hold on to a stage weight or only limit yourself to five to 10 pounds, um, the likelihood that you make solid improvements is probably minimal. Um, and you're pretty much wasting your improvement season time where you could be building and focusing again on other things, feeling better, especially women. If you're losing your cycle, you need to be focused on getting that back. Uh, because if you are not operating optimally on a physiological level, you're not going to respond the way that you want to. You're not going to optimize the response, your muscle building abilities as a woman, if you are not in hormonal harmony. So, um, you know, there's a lot of issues that come along with trying to sustain what social media tries to dictate that you should be to fit into some mold, to feel adequate um, within this bodybuilding realm. But every bodybuilder that loves bodybuilding and eats, sleeps and breathes it for the beauty of the sport. Most of them don't struggle because they understand that this is a lifestyle. And in order for them to come back better, they have to get out of the deficit and get out of it quickly.
0: Yeah. To be honest, I'm just for like my prep prep clients, I'm more of a fan of the recovery diet. And then for my lifestyle clients, I'm more of a fan of a slower reverse because usually a lifestyle client isn't going to be as well, they won't be as low body fat and they won't feel as bad as someone who's coming out of a prep. Um, So they can slowly reverse. And usually adherence is spot on compared to someone coming out of prep and their hunger is through the roof and it will be for maybe months on end. Um, and they have like no leptin and they don't have a period. Like those are all things we need to work on and that's going to take time, but we don't need it to take six, eight a year. We don't need it to take that long. We can feel better, faster, and we're just avoiding the inevitable. You're going to gain body fat. You're not going to look like this long-term. Um, and that's okay. So being open to a recovery diet, I think is super important. Like even for myself, I prefer it because I don't like feeling like shit. And when I end prep, I end it because I don't feel good and it's not worth it anymore. That's usually when I end a prep. It's not because I feel great and I'm on a high. It's usually because I'm pushing myself so much and I have no gas left in the tank to push anymore. And I want to be done.
1: And I think and having that stuff. Self- <laughs> what was that? Uh, I
0: don't know. I can hear you.
1: Yeah. What is going on? Hold on. Let me see if my mic didn't know. I don't know. That's it. It's better now. Yeah. That was weird. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh fuck. What was I going to say?
0: I thought you just saw like a ghost or something. I was like, are you okay?
1: (laughs) Oh no. Like, I don't know if it came out your end. My, it was like echoing and my voice was like coming back at me and I was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, Well, fuck. I forget where I was going to go with that. That threw me off.
0: Talking about recovery diet and just feeling better and having the awareness of when to end prep.
1: Oh, yes. Okay. Self-awareness is critical uh, with the sport. And I I think having an honest conversation when you start and setting the boundaries in which you will operate is incredibly important because once you get prep goggles you will convince yourself that you are willing to die to get to that goal. I mean, that's how it is. Like, and the dedicated will do that. But I think it's important to have those boundaries and be like, I can only push this hard until it's just not, it's not in the cards for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Or you get to that point where you honestly can communicate. I feel awful. I can't keep going. And I think there's a lot of pressure, especially on social media, when you go through a prep and people are watching you, and then you feel like you have to continue to show up, um, or your coach is like pressuring you. And and I've been in those situations as well, where they want to see you, like go through and they want to get you on that stage. Um, but I think it's really important to always consider what is in your best interest. And it's funny when I onboard clients now, you know, they'll ask me these questions about, you know, what if this or that I am not the coach that pushes anybody to step on stage. I am not that coach. And if you are struggling to execute, I will tell you you're better off just waiting um, because prep is no joke. And I don't want to see people invest in something that is so that requires so much discipline um, and mental fortitude to accomplish that goal and actually do it correctly. Uh, if you're not all the way in, if, if you're not all in, you're better off being out. Um, and as soon as I see a red flag, I tell my clients there's three strikes and I'm pulling you um, mm-hmm. because there's no point in fighting yourself like where you're at and what you say you want versus what the actions are that you're taking that show me differently Um, because it's very easy again, to do it for the wrong reasons, to do it for validation, to do it for a sexy picture, to do it for whatever the fuck. Um, Instead of doing it like, Hey, I'm excited. I want to see what the fuck I can do. I know this is going to be hard, but I'm doing it for me. Right. There's so many different reasons and having that why to push you through, but also the boundaries to know I personally, For example, I have a threshold of calories that I will put my clients on and a threshold of cardio. And Mm -hmm. if the timeline is different, and that's why I don't like it when they just pick a show, I will tell them like, okay, now we can start looking at shows about eight weeks out, right? Now we can start looking at these timelines, these locations or whatever it is, right? I think it's important for the coach to always be in the driver's seat about expectations and timelines. Um, And it's important for the client to really be in the journey, especially if you want to do it in a more responsible way. I hate when people are like healthy, like, no, prep is not healthy, okay? But there are more responsible ways to do this and more responsible approaches that you can utilize and implement throughout a contest prep diet um, that are going to help mitigate the extremity of the adaptations that the client experiences. And so Mm -hmm. being able to do that and talk them through, this is why we're doing this. This is what we need to do for you. Uh, This is the biofeedback that I'm getting. These are the pivot points that we need to address before we can keep pushing. Um, And so being able to be flexible in that and understanding with your coach and what you expect from them, as well as what they can expect from you and the boundaries in which you are going to operate together is really important and your self-awareness to be like, I'm losing it. I'm food focused. or you over last night? Right? Like I, like I said, for me, I have a three strike rule. I don't mm-hmm. care if you overate a hundred calories in contest rep that matters. Mm-hmm. So one red flag, to me is like, I'm not willing to compromise the psychological relationships that my clients have to live the rest of their life outside of this sport to step on a bodybuilding stage. Um, yeah.
0: It's not that serious. And I know like so many people identify as a bodybuilder. Like I see a lot of pros where that is just a personality trait. Like they're just a bodybuilder and, or at least that's what it seems like on the outside. And I almost look at some of these competitors and are they inspirational totally, but what, what are they outside of this? You know, like, I don't see a personality, I don't see other relationships and, you know, this may be jumping to assumptions, but maybe those other areas in their life aren't good to be elite, to be high level, other areas of your life do get compromised. So before you look at these women and think, oh my gosh, goals, you do not know the full picture and you don't know everything going on in their life. And as a coach, like, do I think some of my clients like, um, have potential to be Miss Bikini Olympia with their work ethic? Yes. But is it worth it to be that, you know, like bodybuilding is just one aspect of your life. And as coaches, like we care about our clients as a whole. Um, And like putting that mental health first, like having other goals outside of prep. And, you know, even like towards the end of prep, like this is when I tell my clients, like, you need to tell me what your goals are outside of your body. Like, do you want to work on your marriage? Do you want to work on redecorating your house? I don't care what it is. Like just update your vision board, update your goals, because you're more than just a competitor. A lot of these people that we work with are, they don't have the goal of becoming Miss Bikini Olympia. So it's like, let's talk about life after your show, because now you're going to have the time and the energy to focus on those areas. And we can improve that together.
1: Yeah. Having an exit plan and a strategy is really, really important. So for me, for example, because I love to pick on myself, (laughs) um, I've struggled with post-show blues and I think this is applicable even to lifestyle clients as well. Um, let's say you have a fat loss goal. Let's say it's a number, um, whatever it is, right. You want to see different waist measurements or you hit the toning of the body composition that you want to have. Right. Um, and, and you're like, okay, now what, what do I do? right? And you, you start to go backwards in in poor habits and build back those poor habit loops, because, um, you're not sure what the next goal is. You're not sure what the next phase is. You never thought you would actually get here. So when you get to the goal that you thought that you would never achieve, because again, most lifestyle people, um, they've tried every fad diet under the sun and it never worked. So once they find something that works, And then they get there, they're like, well, I never thought I'd get here. So like, what's next? Mm -hmm. Or when I was playing basketball, like the end of a season, like I would definitely have post-show or post-competition blues because it's like you dedicate that entire year to a season. And you don't have three, three hours of training a day. You don't have all of those things that take up your schedule in your day and you have all this free time. And then you're like, well, now what now pair that with psychological and physiological adaptations about hunger signaling and food focus and body image things. It can be a multitude of a fucking shit storm that you now without support, without guidance and without conversation or another goal. You can start really going down a dark path, engaging in self-sabotaging behaviors, which can manifest into disordered patterns that can lead you to, you know, disordered habits. So, Mm -hmm. and on some level, I I do want to throw out the disclaimer that, you know, with bodybuilding, you are going to go through disordered eating habits. It is a part of the sport. No one in real life um, is tracking diligently to the gram all the time, right? That is a disordered eating pattern. And that is a part of the sport. So I think when people are like, oh, it gave me an eating disorder, No, it didn't. But the the protocols in which you have to operate within, it is almost a requirement within the sport, right? That you have Mm -hmm. to be so disciplined around your nutrition in order to get to the end goal. So there's that sacrifice with that purpose uh, in desired outcome. However, it is incredibly important to work on reversing and recovering from those adaptations in those habits, but being able to apply them. Um, into your life and stop being hyper focused on what you just spent the last 20, maybe even I've seen preps that are like 32 weeks. I mean, these, this long period of time where you've dedicated your life to doing this, we have to start breaking and opening up that habit loop a little bit with some flexibility here and there, um, and showing up to other aspects of your life. So for me, like I, my background is in athletics. I love being an athlete. I still love training. I have like body comp goals that I want to achieve, of course. And I can still focus on the bodybuilding aspect of what I want to achieve, but I just took up jujitsu. I started yesterday. Like Mm -hmm. now I'm going to take jujitsu and see how good I can get. Right. It's a skill-based sport. It allows me to feel like an athlete. And I think a lot of people need to remember what it is that brought them the interest of bodybuilding, um, and find an outlet that aligns with that. Again, for me, it was always being an athlete for somebody else. It might be that they just started training in a gym and they got into baking, right? Maybe you want to make an ebook about baking. Oh and gosh, healthy that recipes. reminds me
0: of a client of mine. <laughs>
1: Yeah. See, but like everybody has different things that have kind of led them to bodybuilding. So I think it's important to kind of reflect on why I showed up here in the first place, like what got me interested and then kind of reverse engineer what your goals are, what excites you that you can pursue in your off season. And maybe it's building a family. I know a lot of people get into that. Maybe it's moving, maybe it's decorating your house. Like you said, maybe it's something else, something else that lights you up, but you can still train in the gym and you should not be slacking off in your improvement season. If you decide to compete again, right. That's also very important. And I see a lot of people fall off that. but it can't be tracking macros to the gram 365 every day of the year because you're not recovering psychologically on that level either yeah
0: for me i I really like this like balance i mean this works for me and i find it works for a lot of my clients who are more advanced with tracking which if you've done a prep you're an advanced person of tracking but doing like unless you did a meal plan (laughs) no unless you did a meal plan and you don't even know what yeah, that's the
1: shit storm in itself
0: but you should be able to do five days on and two days off and not lose your shit on the weekends. You should be able to have those satiety cues and hunger signals and, um, be present with your food and not stress out about it. Like that's really my goal for a lot of my clients and then doing the occasional of like, Oh, you're going on vacation and this is a once in a lifetime situation. It's Greece. Yeah. You can take a week off. Like you're, spending thousands of dollars for a lifetime experience like do you do you need to track probably not if you've been tracking macros for two three years like you're you're good but i think a lot of people also need that reassurance from their coach of like yeah you don't need to track because someone that's in prep is reporting every little thing to you i mean i've even had clients where they're like well can i get like creamer in my my coffee drink from starbucks now like after a competition i'm like yeah sure go for it like they they want that approval but i think just taking some time to understand like what does a balanced approach look like for you because it's gonna look different for everyone Mm -hmm. and even with time like immediately post-show do i think you should be doing full-blown untracked days probably not (laughs) probably not but when your calories get up there when you have better uh, satiety and like hunger signals and you feel a little bit more like yourself. Sure. I don't see how that can hurt.
1: Yeah. So I'll just, I'll give you a couple of examples um, of what I've used recently. So um, I had a client come out of a show and they were like, I just need a mental break from tracking. And I said, okay, that's okay. We'll do it. But with the disclaimer that we eat the same meals that you've been eating through prep, you just don't weigh them out. Right. So we can start to regulate those things as long as we're sticking to whole micronutrient dense foods. Like I Mm. I've had clients and these are experienced clients. It's not their first time. So I, I know where they're at educationally. Um, and I know some people need that relief. So they'll do like four days where they just eat their normal meals. They eyeball the portions because we've learned that education through tracking and weighing. And that's one thing I really wish people would take away and start paying attention to is the idea of tracking. Isn't to look at the number to the gram and like overanalyze how perfect you were that day. It's to look at the portion size you're putting on your plate relative to what the portion size is that you're tracking. And look at that. Really look at that. Look at the thing. Look at the plate in front of you. These are what my portions look like. This is what it should look like. And then you can apply that into your life as you open up flexibility with tracking. And I think that that's something that people miss with tracking macros is they're so focused on the numbers. They miss the, the visual in front of mm-hmm. them that they can take away from that. And so, um, when clients come out of a show, depending on the person, right. If they're very advanced trackers and they know how to eat whole foods and they're not people that have gone on vendors, like that are eating junk food. Um, you know, I trust them to be like, Hey, we're going to have four days where you just don't really track, um, stick to your normal prep meals, stick to whole micronutrient dense foods, and then go get Froyer with your kids on once a week. Right. And I've had great success using that approach with that level of clientele. But again, it depends on where they're at. Um, Mm -hmm. as far as like post-show, I really like them to go have an untracked meal, um, that night, next morning, have a breakfast that you want, especially if you're in your off season and we're really transitioning, right. And then go back to your normal meals after that breakfast, check in on Monday. And we have a plan, you know, going forward with where they want, how they're feeling. And again, depending on the context of how they peaked, where they're at, what their next goals are, all of those different things are going to play a role. But I think the number one thing people miss Um, is the education from the visual of tracking because Mm -hmm. they're focused on what's going on in their app. And then that's why they get afraid to go and go on vacation and do those things because they weren't paying attention to the right thing. The educational piece of what tracking actually should be for you, um, which is an educational tool, not uh, a crutch that you use all the time to make you feel safe.
0: It really is an interesting thing too. And I get a client who's worked with me for a while and then they'll. See me maybe post a picture of sushi on my my story, and they'll be like, "How did you track that?" And I'm like, "Think about what what's on my plate right now. We got tuna, protein. We got rice, which is carbs. We got some avocado. What is that? It's a fat. Look at the portion sizes. Take time to break it down. What does that look like? Does that look like three ounces of meat? Four ounces of meat? Does that look like?" 150 grams of rice, 200 grams of rice. What does it look like? Because I think too often when someone gets served something, they think, "Oh shit, I wasn't back there with them watching every little bit that they put in." You have to be able to break it down in your head because that tool will carry over to grandma's house when it's Christmas dinner. That tool is going to carry on over when you want a glass of wine, and you know maybe someone's a heavy pourer, someone went a little bit light and in, in your glass that day. It's a tool macros. And MyFitnessPal, I don't think you should be pulling it out all the time. It's not healthy and it can turn into disordered eating in a way. And I can see how tracking macros can be a very negative tool. And I think people can have a negative experience with it, but it's also what you make it. You have to be aware of like when to call yourself out on your own bullshit. And if you're taking your MyFitnessPal out on, God forbid, like we talked about this, like your wedding day, or on Christmas dinner, you need to one, bring that up with your coach, but two recognize that that's not normal behavior with food. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And one thing yeah. I will say about that is, can you hear me? Like, <laughs> no, but it I, sounds good.
0: I don't know. I think it's just on your end.
1: Okay. I'll just ignore that. Um, <laughs> I will say, obviously that's context dependent. Like if you are going through prep during the holidays and like, Obviously you want to be weighing and tracking everything, but also when you go out to eat, if you want data, like for me, I'm not triggered by being over my macros. I'm not triggered by my weight fluctuating. I'm, I've gotten past that point in my journey. And so I like to see how my body responds in different fluctuations of different calories. Um, and I I'm fine with that. So if I'm going out to eat and I get sushi instead of being like, Oh my God, I can't weigh the sushi. What am I eating? Um, I'll literally just find an equivalent. I'm going to get eight pieces of a tuna roll and just log it consistently. When I have a tuna roll, I'm using the exact same entry every single time. Is it a hundred percent accurate? No, but it is a hundred percent fucking consistent because I'm getting it from the same place in the same amount in the same thing, right? So I think people, when they're out to eat, they're like, oh my God, well, the nutrition information from the restaurant that I'm going to is not online. I'm like, okay, but like there's a million places that serve a burger and sweet potato fries. Be Mm -hmm. honest with the portion size that is in front of you and then find an equivalent if you want the data. If you don't want the data, then please go have your burger and fucking fries and don't worry about it. And if you're triggered by your weight, don't weigh yourself the next day. Like it's it's going to fluctuate and that's normal. A normal body fluctuates. Yeah. And nutrition labels in general aren't accurate. Well, that's what I mean. So there's no such thing as, oh, I weighed it to the gram and I hit my macros to a T. Like all of those are estimations. They're estimations. Um, And you can't get, again, like if you're focused on the perfection, you're missing the consistency and education element of what it is that we're actually doing here.
0: And there's absolutely no such thing as perfection. Like stop trying to chase it. You're going to fuck up. You're going to make mistakes. I've been tracking macros since 2014. I've made plenty of mistakes, plenty of them. And, you know, back then did it cause tons of anxiety? Of course, but I've grown a lot. And now like, it's not a big deal because at the end of the day, it's just food. Okay. It's not that big of a deal. I know my habits. I know my intentions. You're the only person that knows that alongside, you know, your coach, they know that about you. And, um, if you go out for a meal and you have good intentions and you did the best you could, that's all that you can do. I mean, I had a client just today DM me saying, I didn't want to go out for takeout with my sister, but I got a chicken salad and two chicken tacos. And I feel bad about it. I was like, honestly, you did, you made great choices. I'm not upset you've only been tracking macros for five weeks look at how much awareness you had look at those choices you made that's not something you would have done before so like you're not going to be perfect you're going to be presented with challenges but let go of the idea of perfection because when you do that you're not going to feel like you've ever failed each one of these experiences with food are learning experiences to help you grow
1: yeah absolutely, and I think The biggest and most important thing again is like, what does the client want to achieve? Right. And I, I personally like to implement a more rigid and structured initial phase when they don't have a solid tracking background so that they're taking away the education that they need, um, that is helpful for them. So for example, like I'll have a client that's like, I've you know, been trying to lose fat, but I was told I don't have to track condiments, um, vegetables. And I'll be honest, I've been like overeating large volumes of those things. And she was having digestive issues and all those things. So I'm like, okay, I want you to start portioning these things out and kind of eliminate the, the added processed items. Um, and from there again, like just kind of cleaning things up and addressing some poor habits, because during a fat loss phase, they were encouraged to just eat all of the like high volume foods, it was causing more physiological stress um, than would allow for progress. And so I think it's important to Also, realize that if you are constantly relying on volume foods and fillers and all of those different processed things, you Mm -hmm. aren't just what you eat, you're what you're absorbing and able to absorb. Um, And so, I would much rather see somebody learn what a solid micronutrient dense choice is and be able to have that um, outside of being like, oh, well, everybody promotes skinny syrups and cauliflower rice and and Mm -hmm. oats and zucchini oats and all the bullshit, too. <laughs> but you're, you're chronically bloated and you're not going to the bathroom and you're more focused on the weight going down, but there's so much inflammation and physiological stress because you're not actually nourishing your body. Um, and you yeah, can only yeah. learn that again, by paying attention to food groups and what is in that food and what that portion looks like for you and how your digestion and biofeedback is. And so if you're focused on a weight, you're going to lose sight of the bigger educational piece that's going to take you and propel you forward, not only in your body composition goals, but in your life and how you feel and how you show up. Because Digestion for me especially is definitely regulated to cognitive function, to daily energy. Right, if you're backed up, constipated, that's toxin your body wants to get rid of. If there's a blockage or something in there, like it's going to show up in other things, whether it's acne or you know skin rashes, or again like cognitive impairments, energy performance, things like that, where you're just taking it away from you that that high quality of life because you're focused on I need to weigh this much. So in order to do that, I need to find all the volume foods and show It down my mouth so that I can feel full because I don't feel full, but then I'm bloated and uncomfortable and I can't shit. And then you have a multitude of other fucking problems. Well,
0: the other thing too with the volume eating is maybe you just need more carbs and fats. Maybe that's the answer. And if you are volume eating, and I see a lot of like some of my clients on their Instagram eating lots of the chemical foods I tell them not to eat all the time. And I'm like, That is why you feel very bloated. You're not going to feel full. Do we need more carbs and fats? Do we need um, more micronutrients? Probably. That's why you feel like you need to rely on those foods. And I know for myself, calling myself out. I used to do the big cauliflower bowls and salads and protein ice cream. Like sometimes all of those in the same day, no wonder why I looked pregnant going to bed. Like that's a lot of food for my gut to break down. Um, I'm thankful I never dealt with the constipation thing, but you still aren't going to feel good when you're bloated like that and learning how to eat things that maybe you didn't have in your fat loss phase. Like Jasmine rice, potatoes, having like bananas, oranges, apples, like those higher um, carbohydrate based fruits, not having so much of like the zucchini or, you know, the cauliflower, broccoli, having those calorie dense and also micronutrient dense foods is going to be a good move for you to make. And you're probably going to feel more satisfied. And honestly, if you are avoiding those foods all the time, there's probably some sort of fear behind them and you should be incorporating them because just like sleeping with a night light, eventually you're going to have to turn that nightlight off and deal with sleeping in the dark. So you need to do the same thing with your food.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to, and again, this is context dependent to your off season, right? During a dieting phase, of course you want to feel satiated and you're going to work in things like salads and things like that, that are higher volume. Um, but you still want to incorporate obviously micronutrient dense choices. Um, and I very much encourage that for my clients. But the other thing that I see is in people's off seasons, they start to incorporate bars and, you know, things that aren't necessarily, um, whole foods anymore um, or even lifestyle clients. They're like, well, I'm always hungry. I'm like, okay. And this is where I'll do a, a food diary review. And I'll see that they're relying on shakes um, and bars um, and not actually getting high quality foods. Right. So when I show them, you know, an example meal plan with macros attached to it and like food swap alternatives, um, they follow it and they're like, I'm full all the time, but they're losing weight. And I'm like, this is why, um, it's important to not just look at macros and what you can fit, but like, Mm -hmm. what are your food choices? Because food choice sources are going to help you not only move forward, they're going to feel better. You're going to perform better. And your fat loss response is going to be better in my opinion, based on what I've seen, which is a lot of people, um, you know, and I've worked with a lot of people over my time. So Again, there's a time and a place for fun foods. This is not me saying you cannot have a piece of cake or ice cream or those things. Um, please enjoy your pancakes. But at the same time, if we can stick to in your off season, you know, in 85, 15 and 80, 20, depending on where you're at and what your future goals are, you're going to feel better, perform better, just regulate better and, and just physiologically be in a much better spot than if you focus on, I can't gain any weight. So I have to limit my calorie intake, which means I'm going to continue to eat this fucking xanthan gum smoothie at the end of the day and throw that down my throat to give me thick, fluffy volume. Um, Mm -hmm. you know that I see xanthan gum overused a lot. Um, and that's quite problematic for most people digestion wise.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's the other thing is. Everyone's going to be different. I mean, some people can eat that and not be affected. I, I mean, it's pretty rare. But um, also, uh, one ice cream place delights. I, you probably have that in Houston, right?
1: I'm in, in right. Dallas, but I don't Dallas. know if they have it. I should look. I that think was
0: awesome. Honestly, that's like a a low calorie ice cream, but I literally think that's some of the best tasting ice cream in my life. But some people will eat that and have horrible digestion, like. You can't be doing that all the time, then. So everyone's going to be different. Um, some of the behaviors that you did in prep are going to be appropriate for the time and a place, but you know, as your goals shift, as the season shifts, you should be shifting some of those behaviors with food um, and recognizing what's not normal behavior in prep. And everyone and their little prep food behaviors is going to look different. You know, some people have weird little things that they do where they only eat off of a certain plate or they only um, have like certain vegetables, like little behaviors that you do, you have to recognize what they are, that they're kind of weird. And how are we going to, you know, transition out of that?
1: Yeah. And again, this is where self-awareness is critical, right? And I think being open and transparent and honest with your coach is also incredibly important because if they don't know you're struggling with something, they can't help you. Um, if they don't know what your tendency is or what it is that you desire, they can't give you a plan that allows you to achieve those things um, and have that flexibility that you need. And everybody, the level of quote unquote flexibility is going to vary person to person. Um, But I think it's also important that you align your desired outcome with what it is you say you want. For example, all of people um, that are like, I really want to, uh, you know, have, an untracked day. I'm super hungry, but I also really want to do this the right way and reverse slowly. Okay. Well, those are conflicting ideas, um, Mm -hmm. because we cannot do a slow and disciplined reverse. If your goal is to have untracked meals two or three times a week, um, depending on what that food looks like. Right. So I would say initially we need to kind of meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe we have an untracked meal, see how you do with it. We'll go into it with a game plan and some structure, um, so that you can do it guilt-free, but we also need to be realistic with the expectation of what we are going to achieve with different approaches. And so being like, I need this during the season of life and the pros and the cons and the realistic expectations and consequences. Cause, and I hate when people say consequences, like it's a negative thing. There are good consequences and bad consequences with every decision and action that you make right? Mm -hmm. So the consequences, you just have to weigh out the outcome. Is it worth the sacrifice for you? Yes or no. And if not, why not? And what would be a better approach for you that gives you what you need and the consequences or outcome of that is desired for you, right? Good or bad or both, right? Because there's always going to be pros and cons to any approach that you use. And that's why it can't be a one size fits all. This is how you reverse. Uh, This is how you recover. No, everybody in the context of that is going to be different. um, And what they need is going to be different. And just having that open and honest conversation with yourself and your coach is only going to set you up to be successful.
0: Yeah. And like after your diet, like don't ditch your coach, like you should be working with someone at the bare minimum, two months, bare minimum two months, but even the longer you work with someone, your coach after your, your prep, the more successful you're going to be. Um, because your coach is also going to know kind of when, you're good. Um if you are you know struggling with binge like behaviors and struggling with even having the motivation to work out and losing that discipline, you're not ready. You're not ready to go on your own. Um, I can see I've seen it happen where people don't think they need coaching after and they struggle with eat, eating disorder like behavior severely. And it's sad to see. But having a coach there to help walk you out of this and reassure some of those uncomfortable feelings that you're about to feel and some of those uncomfortable mental shifts that will be happening as well, um, is going to help you a lot.
1: Yeah. I would say that leaving a coach right after a contest prep is an absolutely horrible idea, um, for a multitude of reasons.
0: Um, and we're talking about a good relationship, not like a bad coach, like you two work really well together. Like if you have a really bad coach and you just go and hire another one, that's okay. But like- Oh, I just mean
1: like working alone in general. (laughs) like you should be working with someone post-show, like whether it's, like I said, the the whole coaching relationship is a conversation for another time. Um, But, you know, hopefully you had a great experience with that person. Um, I would say you need to be working with them until your body is regulated. I hope that they're encouraging encouraging you to get blood work, um, you know, eight weeks or so post-show with a recovery approach, hopefully, you know, you are able to feel better by that time. You should be able to feel a lot better by that time. Um, and just make sure everything on a physiological level is also operating, not just within range, but optimally. Um, and again, for athletes, that's going to be a little bit different than gen pop. So, um, just making sure that again, the the coach that you're working with, and this goes back to like expectations you have for your coach. Some coaches don't look at blood work. They don't give a shit about blood work. They're just like, I got you to the stage. That was my job. That's cool. And if that's a coach that you want, that's totally fine. Again, it's about the person and what works best for you and what fits your lifestyle and, and the goal that you want to achieve. Um, other coaches think it's very important. I personally. Personally, think it's very important to monitor my clients, not just with getting them shredded, uh, but taking care of them mentally, physically, emotionally, and physiologically as well. So I do think um, before, if you were to part ways or kind of go through your own improvement maintenance phase alone, um, you want to make sure that you've reversed anything. And if there are any issues that you're working with your coach, um, as long as they are quote unquote qualified uh, and have practice in that, in that scope, um, that they can help you kind of Ad, um, address those issues to make sure, okay, now you're in a great place for the offseason. You know, if you want to kind of take it on your own and you're in a good place and balance and everything there is there for you the way that you need it to be, uh, that's great. I would encourage any athlete to really work with clients all year. I mean their coach all year round. Like I work with mm-hmm. the majority of my athletes all year round um because we're always working towards something um, and, and they want to be competitive and in order for us to continue to work, every prep is different, even with the same person, um, mm-hmm. what you, your starting point where you are, for example, you looking at where you started this year and where you're at now and you're in your reverse, right. It's different than where you started last time for your prep and what you're yeah. able to do and perform and eat and all those things. So the variables change, the response changes over time. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or more advanced too. like
0: the body is amazing. It just, it's always changing. So I even know next time I prep, it's going to be totally different. Um, and that's cool. But I mean, I'm trying to build a lot of muscle right now and get big, but.
1: <laughs> Same girl. I just want some juicy ass hamstrings and a big old booty. Like, even if I was having this conversation with a friend the other day, like heaven forbid, I just blew up. Like, and they told me I was too big for bikini. If I loved my physique, I wouldn't give a shit. And I think a lot of people also lose sight of the body that you are competing in is the body you have to live in. So you need to understand the consequences that come with the decisions that you make about things you put into your body or how much you want to grow your body or what type of physique you want to do. Because again, looking shredded, maybe you feel super confident in that body and you're like, yeah, I have a lot of muscle, but I'm shredded. So you're like lean and tight and you look good. But again, in your off season as a woman, you're also going to carry body fat over that. So how big do you want to get? How, you know, how much muscle do you really want to carry? Do you feel comfortable in that body? And I know, a lot of people that will go down this road where they're hyper-focused on competing every single year and they start using PEDs and they kind of grow and then they grow a little bit too much. And then they're in their off season. They're like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. They're at a healthy body fat, but they've acquired so much lean body mass. Mm -hmm. that, um, in their lifestyle body, which is where you should live 90% of the time. Um, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable for them. So I think it's also important when it comes to boundaries to understand, you know, where do you actually want your physique to go? And are you making that choice on your own? Are you making it with pressure? Are you making it with expectation, um, from other people? Like that needs to be a very personal conversation and choice. Yeah.
0: That should be another episode that we do PED use. And, um, bringing more light to it and the prevalence in the sport. Sometimes I say PEDs and I get people in my DMs saying a lot of women, what is that? I'm like, Oh my.
1: (laughs) Okay. And just to be fair, like with that, like tidbit, I don't like it when people also demonize PEDs because let's be honest, we're in bodybuilding. Caffeine is a drug. Caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. And if you're going to compete in the NPC, which is a non-tested federation, you cannot complain that other people are enhanced, even if you're not because you're choosing to compete in that federation. So Mm you can't be mad and be like, oh, well that girl was on drugs. Well, cool. Like that's fine. If that's her choice, she totally chose to do that. But like, if you're not going to do that, that's cool. But stay in your lane and stop hating on people because it doesn't change the fact that they beat you. They beat you because they were better than you that day. Like that is the outcome.
0: That's an interesting thing too, because if a woman's on testosterone, it's, oh my gosh, you're on steroids. But if a woman's on estrogen, progesterone for her birth control, it's uh, you know, that's okay.
1: Yeah. And I think there's just like, people don't understand PED performance enhancing drug. So even if you've used a fat burner or like I said, caffeine or creatine would have increases performance. Like those are performance enhancing drugs. So like, what are we considering performance enhancing versus not? And then we can talk about, well, the discrepancy is anabolic or non-anabolic. Okay. Well, that's a conversation we can have, but regardless, it doesn't matter your opinion. The fact of the matter is it is a non-tested federation and people in the sport are going to use performance enhancing drugs drugs at their own discretion, however they desire. Um, and again, if that's the choice that you have, I just think the most important thing is understanding your boundaries, what it is you are and aren't willing to compromise, whether it's your femininity, or I'm only willing to use these types of drugs and why, and make sure one, you test them. Number two, you're working with a coach that you trust, um, to give you the proper protocols and supplementation that go along with utilizing PEDs.
0: Yeah, definitely. Or else it can be very dangerous. And we've unfortunately seen a lot of people, you know, pass in our sport and that can be due to poor protocols or even just not listening to horrible biofeedback that your body's giving you, um, and trying to do whatever it takes. But, you know, what was that one quote? I've seen it before where it said, if you promised an Olympian that they would win a gold medal, but they would die in the next five years, majority of the athletes said yes. And that's the mentality that you're dealing with, with some of these bodybuilders, they will literally do anything, even if it means that they will harm their health. Um, I I think both Kate and I disagree with that statement and, you know, putting your life on the line for the stage, but there's a lot of just different mentalities and approaches to this sport. And, make sure that you are choosing a coach where it aligns with
1: yours. Or I think that people don't understand that that's actually a probable outcome depending on how aggressive the protocol is. Like, I think, um, again, this comes down to boundaries. And when you're in a prep and you get prep goggles and someone says, well, take this and this will happen, you're probably going to say, yes, you were not thinking very clearly. And so this is where, again, having a conversation with your coach and being like, these are my boundaries. This is what I want you to respect no matter what happens. Um, I think that that is very, very important. Um, and again, like everybody's, aggressiveness and what they are comfortable with is going to vary. So it is a very personal conversation to have with yourself. Um, and just make sure that you and your coach have that relationship where you feel very comfortable, um, having those conversations with them, because if you guys are not on the same page, you cannot operate as a team and get to the end goal successfully together. Yeah. Well, Kate,
0: I know it's been almost an hour. I don't want to use all your day, but why don't you go ahead and plug yourself and tell us, you know, where people can find you drop all your socials, podcasts, Instagram, go for it.
1: All right. All right. So I, am. Um, I have a podcast that is called the fit shit podcast. If you can tell, I am not, uh, the most proper with my words, but I don't really trust people that don't cuss at all. So there's that, um, outside of that, I am on Instagram as Kate and Michelle, you guys can find me there. You can go to my website at www.leveluptraining.com. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm just me doing me and taking up jujitsu now. So I'll be posting a lot more YouTube content, um, around that as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again. You're so welcome. We'll talk soon.